Welcome to the Future Law Podcast, the show that looks at where the law has been and where it's going. I'm Mike Madison. I've been in the legal profession for 35 years, and currently I'm a law professor at the University of Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, USA. In this episode, Dan Hunter speaks to Dorna Moini, CEO and co-founder of the legal tech vendor Documate, on her life as a legal tech founder, why it's okay to be ashamed of your first tech build, and the kinds of skills and dispositions needed for the future of law. Take a listen. We're here with Dorna Moni, the CEO of Documate. Welcome, Dorna. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. Great to see you again. Um, since we talked last time, lots of things have happened, but what I wanted to do is, is to help our listeners sort of understand what Documate is, what you guys do, how you got here. So tell us about the creation of uh, Documate and what Documate is. Yeah, so I'll start a little bit with my story because I think it really leads into why we built Document and what it does now. I was a lawyer. I practiced for almost a decade, doing mostly litigation at a big firm, but I also did a lot of pro bono work. And some of the pro bono work that I did when I was at my firm was with domestic violence survivors. And what I was finding was that there were lots of areas of domestic violence law where it's very rules based. The, the work that we were doing for clients was rules-based. And so what I wanted to do was build an online legal application for individuals to come onto the platform, answer a series of questions, be taken down different decision tree paths, be shown information that they needed in their case, and then at the end of that process, be given work product, in this case, set of documents, and allow them to e-file those with the court. So what I did was I, at the time, I lived in San Francisco, and I, I knew a lot of engineers at the time because that's sort of the hub, although that's, that, now that's spreading all over the world. San Francisco. <laughs> exactly. So I got together with a friend of mine, and we built an end-to-end -end application for domestic violence survivors. We launched it. We were using it within my firm. We had legal aid organizations using it, and then we also had consumers using it. And then we started to get a little bit, bit of press for that tool. And what happened was that the people who were reaching out to us, asking more to, to learn more about, about what this tool was at the time, it was called Help Self Legal. There were some consumers who actually wanted help with domestic violence matters, but really more who we were getting interest from um, through this press was other lawyers. And what they were saying was that they had built tools or they wanted to build tools in other areas of law and in completely different jurisdictions that looked exactly like what we were building for domestic violence law uh, with help self, help self self legal. So what we did is we sort of took a step back and we realized what we really need to do here is not just build content specific tools for specific areas of law, but rather what we need to do is actually build a base platform on which anyone can build anything in any area of law. And so that's exactly what Document is now, is a no-code platform for building your dream without having to hire a software developer as a lawyer. That's fantastic. And, and how long ago was it that, that you, you started, that you started to roll it out? We launched that domestic violence platform at the very beginning of 2018, mm -hmm. um, and we have had that up and running for a little bit. And then we launched Document, uh, what's now Document, in uh, beginning of 2019. Wow, that's that's great. So for four years. So tell us a little bit about your growth and and the journey, as as the startup world likes to call it. You know, how has it gone since uh, since you kind of launched it as Document uh, four years ago? 
Yeah, so we've had a pretty interesting journey because our original and our still big mission is to bring access to legal services to the masses. And we think that the way that that is going to be done is with through lawyers building out their expertise into technology tools. And so when we first started, what we were really targeting was the legal aid space, legal aid and non nonprofits and providing them the document platform so that they could build free tools for the public or tools for the courts. Um, and we still have a lot of those, those folks on our platform and they're a very big uh, part of our mission, our core and really our heart um, at Document. But uh, as you probably know, it's it's much harder to to have a sustainable legal technology business when you're when you're serving nonprofits. So what we do now is we provide our software for free or at cost to a lot of those legal aid organizations, but we sell to for profit for profit firms mostly, and that's that's our kind of core core market. Um, and our growth has been really across the board. I mean, we've had customers from solo firms all the way through like the big firms like Wilson Sonsini's who's, who's built lots of tools on our platform as well. So where our kind of core customer base is now is those small and mid-sized firms uh, because they're, you know, we're still a small team. We have a very easy to understand platform. And so we don't have a big sales team who's going out and, and meeting with a bunch of the big firms, but for small and mid-sized firms, they're able to test, get up and running, understand the system. And it's a pretty quick sales cycle. Yeah. And, and that's mostly uh, in the US, you, where your market is? Mostly in the US, um, although we have, uh, we have lots of lots of customers in any really English speaking country, mostly because all of our materials are in English, but we also have customers in all different. Uh, I think we have now we're, we're at 23 different countries in which we have document users uh, and we have 18 different languages that you can turn your workflows into. So as long as you can sit on the document system, you can build out your workflows in any language. So it can be, we have people doing Chinese, Japanese, Korean characters. We have Hebrew and Arabic, which are right to left languages. So it's really incredible, the, the types of tools and the, the variety that we're seeing. That's fantastic. That localization is, is, is really hard to do well. So congratulations. The, I know you just came from the ABA Tech Show. How did that go? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it was our first conference back in person and probably the first conference back in person for a lot of folks. It was great. I mean, they had a really good turnout people who were excited to get back out there and, and learn about new new tools and a lot of great vendors too. So we got to see, you know, they always have Startup Alley, which is fun because you see all the new tools that are coming out, um, out onto the market. And fun fact, we actually launched Document at 2019's Startup Alley um, at ABA Tech Show. So it was kind of fun to have that come full circle. We had a full size booth with, you know, people from our team talking, talking to everyone, lots of swag. Uh, so it just kind of showed us how far we've come. Yeah, you look like an actual company now. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, it's exactly. Uh, that's, that's very exciting. If I can dig into that aspect of it a little bit, I'm really interested in the in your life as a as a legal tech entrepreneur. Obviously, very different from life as a lawyer. We're interested this season to sort of talk about skills and competencies, and you know how that uh, actually might differ, say, between a legal tech startup and you know doing uh, legal ops within a firm or something like that. So, tell us a little bit about the sorts of skills and competencies that you've had to develop within this new environment as a as an entrepreneur how does how does it differ from being a lawyer yeah definitely so i think that a lot of those skills are actually pretty 
transferable um, in ways that you might not think of and that may not be obvious on their surface. Uh, I think that the two sort of main things that I learned uh, from being at a big firm and really just having that intense pressure of, of lots of hours of work and working with really sophisticated clients and really, really smart attorneys around me um, is one, attention to detail and two, responsiveness. I think those two things can carry you very far. And interestingly, in the early days of our product, when we first launched, and it was something that was, you know, kind of a buggy product. They always say, if you're not embarrassed of the first version of your product, then you, you launched too late. <laughs> You've overthought it. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, but I think that what really got us customers in those very early days, when we had this very nascent product that people didn't, you know, document automation wasn't really a thing that was on every single lawyer's mind as it is now. Right. But in those early days, just being responsive to client requests, responding to them in a, in a professional way, and really being detail oriented in what we were building in terms of a product, um, which is something that I learned from my years in law school and, and at a firm were super, super valuable to us. You go from working at a law firm where you're you're really doing the same thing mostly every day. You know, you have a, a core set of skills that you, that you have, but as an entrepreneur, you're doing everything. And I think every one of those areas, I, like on my to-do list, even to this day is broken up within different categories of like roles and, and responsibilities that I haven't, maybe haven't hired out for. So engineering definitely have a whole team for that, but <laughs> like sales, we don't really have a sales team yet. We have customer, customer success and customer support, but we don't really have like an outbound sales team. So anything that is there I'm doing, that's your it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> building out a product and doing product development is very similar to thinking about your case and determining how you're going to choose witnesses or how you're going to choose the evidence that you present inside of, inside of a brief, um, research, super, super critical. How are you going to survey your users and make sure that you're providing them the, the, the things that they want to see in the product? Um, how are you surveying the, the market to see what exists already out there, doing your due diligence there? It's again, something that you learn a lot of and, and is part of your daily life as a lawyer. Um, sales, again, is really similar to the business development that you do at a law firm. Marketing in general is something you're doing all the time within within a law firm, not only when you're outward facing to your clients, but I mean, I was a litigator, so maybe I'm not sure if this transfers exactly in the transactional sense, but as a litigator, you are, you always have your marketing cap on and every brief that you write and every uh, interaction that you have with the court or opposing counsel, you know, that that's going to be seen by someone else. So um, I think all those skills really transfer quite a bit. So another aspect which is interesting about you and, and sort of more generally about what I'm sort of noticing in legal tech these days is there are a lot of women entrepreneurs and especially women who are leading uh, legal tech startups. Um, ha have you noticed that a, a change over the last few years or do you notice that there's anything different about legal tech and sort of the representation of women? You know, one of the things that I think is used to be true is that, you know, the startup world was completely dominated by men. Um, just, I mean, and dominated in the sense of just, just overrepresented. Just, you know, women found it very difficult to, to get in, a difficult environment. I was just wondering in your experience as a, as a legal tech uh, CEO and a woman, you know, whether that's been something that you've, you've noticed over the last few years i don't know the exact stats but i know Kristen sonday at paladin i don't know when the last one she launched was but she does studies on this and releases statistics on minorities and women uh, in legal tech and i think last time i checked the stats were still a little grim <laughs> um, in terms of representation but what i will say is that just anecdotally the women who are in legal tech 
have been so incredibly supportive and, and willing to kind of lift each other up in sharing, sharing tips and tricks, um, giving each other feedback, really supporting each other, uh, with, with customers. So that's something that at least within legal tech, I know has been really uh, a huge morale booster for, for myself and for, I know a lot of the other, uh, women who have founded legal tech companies. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about, about startups is that you're so dependent upon the network and the support of, of others. And I think one of the reasons it's so important that, that women and, and, uh, minorities are represented within uh, legal tech startups or within startups generally is is that sense of having people who are like you whom you could reach out to that are part of your network who will lift you up and and you know white guys like me have had that for forever uh, in the startup community it's really great to see that that's starting to to happen within uh, within the, the legal tech community for, for women and other minorities you said at the beginning that you sort of started from uh, the you know self-represented litigants helping domestic violence uh, survivors and others and you've got a really really strong access to justice program at Documate. Um, can you tell us a little bit about who you actually work with in 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 that space? It's clear you have a, an enormous commitment to it and and I've been the beneficiary of that in some other stuff we'll talk about in a bit but where does that come from? You know how does it play out? You know who do you actually you know like working with and what are some of the nice stories that, that you get from from the Ada Justice uh, kind of movement? Yeah so maybe I'll start with just a little anecdote about one of our early early customers who is a legal aid organization here in Los Angeles and what happened was and this is was one of the things that in our early days led us to really continue building document because it really confirmed a lot of the ideas and and beliefs that we had about about the legal legal tech helping with access to justice. So we had an organization here in LA, a legal aid organization who we were working with. They did these um clinics on Saturdays where they would help people with their legal needs and this specific one was a name and gender change form that they would they were helping people with uh in that process. And they put out this tweet and they apparently got like 10 times more cust- more customers or people who were who signed up for the clinic than usually do. And they had no ability to, to actually serve those people. So they had like two weeks left until that clinic was about to, about to launch. And so they came to us and said, if we can automate this process, we have, I think they had like 16 or 17 different forms that would potentially populate based on a bunch of different things that they, those, those people would need throughout the process. And they said, if we can automate this, we can cut down the time that it takes to serve these people by down to a 10th of that time and serve everyone who, who's, who's coming to, to be helped at this clinic. And so throughout that time, those were in the early days of document when our product was not as well developed. So we actually would sit down with people and actually help them build out the, the tool and get our hands dirty. So we built this tool for them in like, I think it was like less than a week and they were able to use it at their clinic and they served literally 10 X the customers that they usually serve at at those clinics with the same number of, of attorneys, legal, legal aid attorneys who worked at the organization and uh, pro bono attorneys. So I think that those types of stories are really what we strive for. And those are the types of types of customers that we were always working with. There are legal aid organizations across the country and actually across the world that, that we work with in that way. We give our software either for free or at cost, um, depending on different programs that we have with, with, with different organizations, if they are a nonprofit, because we never want price or cost to be an issue 
preventing organizations to take their expertise and automate it for the public. We are participating in two different technology and innovation grants through the Legal Services Corporation this year to provide integrations between DocuMate and some of the legal legal services, um, like legal aid software tools that exist. So we really are continuing to to embed ourselves in in that system and, and support those customers. And then as you know, you know, we also have programs for law students where we love law students. We, we would we love law students to be able to build and get up and running on document and build all kinds of cool tools. So we've had some fun things happen over the years. I think it was like a year and a half ago we, we did a competition with a bunch of law students during the pandemic on what kinds of tools they could they could build. And the second place winner went viral in Canada and the grand prize winner was a tool out in Peru that was helping with family. I was gonna say I thought I thought it was in South America. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you remember better than me. Yeah. So lots of just really incredible tools being built by these by these people, um, and we really love to continue fostering those relationships. Yeah. So I mean, I've I've used your tool now in in uh, three different uh, universities. So uh, Swinburne, Queensland University of Technology, and National University of Singapore. <laughs> um, you, you must have uh, representation all across the world with uh, with with universities. Are there are there other universities that you've worked with or that you work with regularly? Yeah, definitely. So where's Brian? Brian Tang is at Hong Kong University. We work with him a lot in the U.S. I mean, we worked with USC, UCLA, Columbia, University of Colorado, um, Suffolk. Probably could go on and on with with the list, but they really are across the globe. It's amazing. <laughs> you must have actually taught uh, or helped teach literally thousands of of uh, students and now grads how to do document automation using Document. Yeah, and it's it's amazing when they actually continue building those tools out after the course. I, I just love those stories. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it, it profoundly changes their sort of their, their outlook and the way in which they, they kind of say, well, this is how I'm going to practice. Actually, I could do this using document automation. Once you sort of understand the basic process, it, it, it works really well. Um, so what's so what's next for Documate? What, what are you looking forward to over the next, I don't know, let's say two to three years? So one of the biggest things that our customers are always asking for is big picture, just data. So we already have a feature called data manager where you can store data and, and reuse that data in different workflows, but we're making that more robust. So people want to be able to see their data, analyze their data, populate things uh, with, with their data in other systems. And so we're really making those, those integrations more robust and also making the internal platform where you can visualize your data a little, a lot more robust. We just launched a course on Zapier uh, about a week or two ago. And I don't know if you have used Zapier, but Zapier allows you to kind of pass data back and forth between different applications. Yeah. So a lot of people who have who've taken that course have learned, obviously it centers around how you can use document with Zapier, but it also teaches you just how you can use Zapier and what all of those functions inside of Zapier um, do. So data is really big picture, something that we're working on uh, this year. And then going into the future, we're just seeing so many of our customers building tools in many different areas of law in many different jurisdictions. And they are wanting to share those tools oftentimes with each other. So we're, um, we're building out more of a robust um, network for, for our, the attorneys on our platform to be able to share these tools with each other as well, uh, which is already sort of happening organically, but we're building more of a, an interface for that soon. Oh, nice. That, that's fantastic. And where do you want to be in five years' time? It's been estimated that about 90% of legal services will be delivered online in the next 10 years. And so in the next five years, we want to be the 
the people who you think when you think about building legal products or when you think about accessing legal products as an as a consumer you think about document um so that's that's sort of we want to be the the operating system for for um uh online legal services generally Wow, the operating system for law, Documate. I will look forward to checking back in with you in, uh, let's let's say, four years' time. I think you can probably do it, and uh, we'll see how, how close you came to that particular strategy. Donna Moyni, CEO of Documate, thank you so much for joining the Future Law Podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Dan. Thanks for listening to the Future Law Podcast. Next week, I'll be chatting with Duke Trang, Managing Director at Major Lindsay in Africa in London, about what growing uses of AI tech mean for how we teach and train lawyers. If you would like to share your thoughts on legal tech, startups, or the skill sets needed for the new world of law, then send us an email at futurelawpodcast at gmail.com, or you can get in touch with us via Twitter at The Future Law Pod. Also, if you're enjoying our show, don't hesitate to rate and review us on Apple or Spotify. Thank you to our executive producer, Paria Tahirzadeh, and editor, Fiona Smith. This show is brought to you by the Queensland University of Technology. Bye for now.